The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Again, so welcome and thank you for uh, for listening in. Uh, listening in today, I really do um, appreciate it. It's it's nice that we can actually we actually share the Dhamma in this way and we can we can still uh, in a way get together and listen to teachings and practice Dhamma together um, and so as I said I I only found out a day or so ago that I had to give the talk so I, I haven't really thought through exactly what I'm going to talk about but I tried to think of, of one thing that sort of you know because we're in lockdown at the moment one thing that actually sort of unites us or one kind of universal uh, mental state or emotional state that we may all feel in this because generally what I've noticed is there's different people respond differently to being in some kind of lockdown or being in some kind of isolation uh, and that's not necessarily just the the lockdown that's imposed in us here in Melbourne but being in being in isolation in any way and so Obviously, you have people when they are in isolation. That you know, one. Obviously, I'm generalising here. You have one group of people that generally, when they are in some kind of isolation, they really do experience some kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, negative emotional reaction to that, or 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 negative psychological states due to that, and they have a lot of a lot of suffering at that time being in isolation and being you know from the loneliness that comes up from that isolation so you have that sort of group of people but then the next group of people you have are people that you know they're in you know lockdown or isolation or whatever but it's and they don't like it it's unpleasant they you know they'd rather be out you know socializing they'd rather be out you know traveling around or working together as a group and getting together as a group and um, but you know they don't they don't like the lockdown they don't like the isolation but they're still okay they can they can they deal with it but they generally they don't like it <clears throat> and then you have the third group of people which are which i fall into and, and that's the people that when you are in some kind of isolated lockdown situation the actual physical activity of being locked down actually really really enjoy it uh really if you have some kind of meditation practice you it's it's like it's like being on a meditation retreat you have very little things to do very little distractions um so it's the actual physical activity of being isolated in some kind of lockdown is actually it's it's really good it's really pleasant and most uh uh most dhamma practitioners actually have this same same kind of experience so so you have those three generalized groups of people, people that respond, respond to it uh, with a lot of emotional and psychological suffering. You have those that are just that are inconvenienced by it, don't like it generally, but they're, they're okay to deal with it. And there's those that really like it. And, but the one sort of psychological construct that we all share and this mental state that we all share is this faculty of boredom and also, not just boredom, but distraction as well, or restlessness. And so that's what I thought I'd try to talk about this morning, is this, the interaction between boredom and distraction, and how, how those two actually really, they, they 
They, they work together and they feed off each other a lot. Because even if you enjoy, you know, enjoy lockdown and you enjoy being on uh, in like a semi-retreat kind of environment, you still get bored, you still get distracted, you still get restless, you still uh, end up you know, wandering, wandering around the house, you know, getting up, sitting down, all these kinds of things, and just sort of aimlessly wandering around. So it's something that we all, we all actually, a, 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 a psychological state that we all actually share. So that's what I'll talk about this morning, the, this, this interaction between boredom and distraction and why we, why we actually feel like it's a, it's, a negative, it's a negative state. It's something that is something that we dislike and something we don't want. And really so also posing the question, is boredom always a, a bad thing? Uh, can it actually be a positive thing? Is, is distraction and restlessness, is that, is that always negative or is that... You know, is that is there some sort of positive aspects to that as well? So I'll I'll sort of go over exactly how you know most of us understand boredom and restlessness and distraction, and really try to try to outline the ways of why I think we we uh, respond negatively to it and the, the the kinds of reasons why we actually have something like uh, 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 boredom and distraction, but then maybe hopefully offer some hopefully useful advice to, to get over this boredom and get over this distraction and, and to work with it in particular ways to actually make our the, the negative feelings that we get from boredom and distraction into something that is a little bit more positive. So <clears throat> before, before I launch too far into it, so what do I actually mean when I say boredom and what do I mean when I say distraction? Obviously, nearly everybody you have a, a decent understanding of what boredom and distraction is, but it, it's good to it's good to lay it out just so we know exactly what we're talking about in this instant, because obviously everybody, each individual experiences things in a different way. But if you can find a universal for it, then you know at least at least you're sort of on the same page. So with boredom, boredom really is this kind of you know, emotional and mental state that we feel that has a, a kind of negative, a negative valence to it, or a, or a discomforting feeling to some kind of state that we're actually in, and it arises due to a particular situation that you might be in that uh, you find unpleasant or that you don't like, or you're so say for. What I mean by that is, say, for example, you're sitting in a room, there's nothing happening, and you have this kind of negative feeling. So it can come up in that area. It also can, boredom can also arise when you're actually engaged in, or you're, 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 you're doing some kind of activity, but you're not feeling engaged in it. So what I mean by that is, like, you're, say, for example, you're doing work, and you might be... Uh, doing the dishes or something or doing the accounts or something and you find it boring so you have a negative reaction to doing that particular kind of action so boredom is this underlying feeling of of discomfort and disquiet and unpleasantness due to you being in a particular kind of situation and the way that you're perceiving that situation now how boredom interacts with distraction is that because you're feeling that that negatively valiant state you want to change that you're having some kind of suffering in some way and you're wanting to actually change that so you want to search for something that is 
more pleasurable, more rewarding. You want to try to find some kind of some kind of input, some kind of sensory input that is more pleasurable and rewarding for you at that time to change that feeling of discomfort and suffering that you're actually experiencing because of the of the boredom. So you search out for something that's more exciting. And that's where distraction comes in. Distraction comes about because we try to search for a way out of our suffering. Now, the catch-22 in all this is as soon as you find that thing that becomes more pleasurable, that can get you out of your current state of negative state of boredom, you go to that distracted thing, but you get bored of the distracted thing that does make you distracted. And the process starts all over again. So boredom and distraction really interact with each other, uh, uh, interact with each other in this sort of symbiotic way that, and it keeps us in this kind of perpetual cycle. So that's how, that's how they really work together. And so, uh, you know, a question maybe to, to think about is, you know, when, try to, try to think of the last time that you were really bored and bored for a long period of time. Okay, now try to think of the last time that you were, got distracted. And I think most most of us can like most of us can recall a lot easier the last time we got distracted than the last time we got bored. Um, and so why is why is that? It was because distraction is a, it's a stronger pull pulling you away from boredom. And so it's harder to be bored for a long period of time. It's easier to get distracted. And if you, you know, if you think about that, like you, there's something about also the modern world that actually sort of ramps up, can ramps up our distraction. We have the, the world at the moment uh, and society as it is, it's, it's, it can be a chaotic and frantic and very you know fast paced environment we have you know handheld devices that uh, that, are, that are basically designed to pull our attention and uh, 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 you know give us sort of pleasure by finding different content and different information we We walk outside and there's you know there's there's advertising there's moving objects all around us at all time try, always trying to pull us to 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 pull us out and and, and actively engage our distraction. But not only that, there's there's obviously different aspects of your, you know, your career, your work, your school, or whatever it is that there's this constant need to do more. We always have to be doing more. We have to we, we have so many options now that we have to, you know, have our kids doing all these different kinds of things, and we also need to be doing all these different things to make us a good person. So, the the the, the pace the pace of the world is quite frantic and hectic, um, but. And so we think, oh, well, that's the reason we're distracted, because the world is so hectic and frantic and chaotic. But the reality is, is that it's not the world and it's not the things outside that are making you distracted. It's actually something that more comes from within. We, the, you know, the, co the, common, you know, the common complaint you hear now is that, uh, you, you know, you get on public transport or something and everyone, you look on, oh, look at everyone's just sitting, sitting there on their phones or they're waiting at the train station and everybody's just in their own world on their phones. Isn't this, isn't this the degrad de degradation of society and isn't this, you know, uh, isn't society going down? And I, you know, I, you know, like, 
you know, anybody else maybe here is listening online. I actually grew up in a time where you know, we didn't have handheld devices, but you sat on, a, on public transport. And it wasn't like it was this like social activity that everyone was getting involved in. It's like everyone still was in their own world. You still read your own book. You still, like I used to listen to my Walkman all the time. And there was still you know one or two people that were on the bus that were the 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 one that wouldn't shut up and leave you alone kind of thing. So it's it's not like these <laughs> things in the world are actually like changing you know you know changing who you are kind of thing and changing the way that you interact and making us more distracted and more lonely like they are in a way i'm not not uh, denying that in any way but i guess you know the point i'm trying to get at it's not that these things in the world are making you distracted or or it's not a kind of situation in the world that's actually making you bored the another example another example that the reason why i say it's not the physical objects in the world that are distracting you the reason i say that is because you because you when you become a monk uh you you give up a lot of your your uh, material material comforts all the material objects that you have so i remember when i first became a monk you know give everything away and so you're living very simply you might be living in the forest you only have your bowl you only have your robes you have a little you have a little bed you have a little bed um and you might have a shrine a shrine with the buddha statue and some pictures of some great teachers and some relics or something and a few other little kind of uh, knick-knacky kind of things but very 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 minimal very minimal objects that you actually have. And I can attest that just having those few minimal objects, I can find numerous ways to distract myself with those. And I can spend hours being distracted by just a few very simple things. You you sort of, you because you're spending a lot of time by yourself, it's like you oh, I need, to, I need to rearrange my shrine, I need to have this picture here, and I need to put the relics here, and I need to... Actually, I should move the whole shrine into this other part of the room. It'll look nicer here. And you know, I spend all this time, like, folding my clothes properly and making it really neat and, you know, taking, like, 10 minutes to fold, like, a, a cloth or something like that and, you know, incessantly cleaning and all these kinds of things. So if you... You know, even if you do take all away all the these material things that we think are distracting us, you still can get distracted. If you looked at me in that time, it would be like like if you like went to the zoo and you you looked at some kind of like you know like crazy meek rats that are running around trying to do something. It's 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 like that if you're sort of looking at it from the outside. So so really, uh, it's again as I said, it's not the things in the world that are causing us boredom or not the things in the world that are causing us distraction and so you have to know this you have to take responsibility for your own boredom you have to take responsibility for your own distraction and realize that it is actually something that's coming from inside you have to know that the causes of it come from within and if you don't take some kind of responsibility over it you don't take some sort of ownership over your restlessness and your distraction and your boredom then it will control your life you'll be you'll be just pulled around by the whims of your own thoughts so okay so if that's so that's the understanding of boredom and distraction but so most of us may know this already but you know why why is it like that why do we why do we feel like it's a a a, a negative a negative kind of state why and why does it feel why does boredom feel so 
terrible. Why does distraction feel so, 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 so needy and so, so having the capacity to pull you around? It's the reason we feel this way is because we just can't sit with the uncomfortableness of this negative feeling that we actually have. We don't feel good in the present and we want that to go away. And so our, our suffering in this moment comes with our inability to sit with this discomfort, to sit with this unpleasantness, to sit with this you know, feeling of, of discomfort and disquiet. There's, a, there's actually there's a, uh, there's a great quote by a French mathematician and philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and he really, really summed this up quite well. He said that, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but he said something like, all of man's unhappiness comes from his inability to sit alone peacefully in a room by himself with his own thoughts. And so that's what, that's what really sort of you know, colors our experience when we do come into some sort of situation where you are isolated, where you are in lockdown. Or this is, what, this is what actually happens when we actually try to do a practice like meditation. <coughs> we start to notice this process a lot more. We start to notice these thoughts a lot more. And as soon as you get in this isolated, isolated environment or you start to practice meditation, you start to become... Everybody has the same kind of experience. This is when the, the, it feels like the thoughts start to you know, come in and uh, like a tidal wave of thoughts comes, comes in on you. You become assailed by thoughts that are just continually going over and over. And you start to realize that really you're, in a way, you're living under this kind of tyrant of thinking, this kind of this living under a tyranny of actually thinking tyranny of thought and if when you do this what is actually happening at that point is that you're actually starting to for maybe and maybe for some people in isolation for the first time you're starting to meet your own mind you're starting to meet your own thought patterns your and we do this when we're meditating and <clears throat> what usually happens is is when we meet our mind for the first time, we start to realize that it's the most chaotic, rambling, annoying, insulting, critical, uh, just, just mean and, and, you know, rarely say anything nice. You, this, 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 it's this entity that is really always just constantly berating us every second of the day. Um, it's it's analogous to being I, I use the analogy that it's analogous to being locked in a room with a, like a, 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 a raving mad lunatic or some kind of madman you're locked in this kind of space and basically so you're locked in this in your head with this raving lunatic and this is actually happening to you every second of the day you have to live with this this madman so so what is happening at this point in time is you, you meet this madman in your own mind. You meet this raving lunatic in your own mind and you realize that you're controlled 
by him. Everything, everything in your world gets shaped by it, and everything you you, you listen to this madman every at every second, and you're always following his whims. So, this is actually where most of our suffering comes from. This is where most of the stress that we experience in our life actually comes from. If it's you, you'd be you'd be very hard pressed to actually think of something in life that that's not a result of of your thoughts about that instance. This is not to say that that things that don't happen in the world are not are not painful. Say, for example, your body. It, there, are, there is physical pain in there. There are, there are uh, tragic circumstances that happen in life. There's traumatic things that do happen. But what happens is a lot of our suffering around this thing is, is, is a result of how we're thinking about it and a, a result of how we're responding to that. <clears throat> so that's to say that, that pain is one thing, but the suffering that's associated with that, that's, a, that's, that's another thing. And because everything in our experience is really actually mediated by our thoughts, the way we're, we're viewing the world and how we're responding, how we're responding to this negative reaction from boredom and then this, you know, trying to, being restless and, and trying to uh, you know, find a way out of it through distraction. This is, this is a result of our own thoughts. And... The thing about that is, you know, the most common complaint you have with people that meditate, they go, well, I just can't stop the thoughts. And, but you have to realize it's like you, you, you can't, yeah, you can't stop them. They're, they're always there with you. You're, they're locked, you know, you're locked in the same places where your thoughts are. You know, you're, as I said, you're locked in this room with the madman and even maybe the madman's like, you know, handcuffed to you or something. You just, you can't get away from, you can never, ever get away from them. So you can't ever actually get rid of thoughts, but what you have to do is use your thoughts, use the suffering that comes about because of your thoughts and your mental state as like an alarm. And so what do I mean by that? Well, when you start to feel some kind of suffering, some kind of negative state that is arising because of your thought, that's like an alarm that goes off. Now, if you have a practice like meditation, this is, this is very beneficial because you can actually respond to the alarm. But if you don't have a practice like meditation or mindfulness, it's like, it's like you never, ever hear the alarm. It's like the alarm goes off, but you just don't know, and you just keep, you just keep sitting there and keep, getting, and keep getting involved in it. It's, if you don't know how to respond to that alarm of suffering from your thoughts, what it shows is that you're just under the under the control of your thoughts. You're you're basically at its whim. You you're not responding properly. But if you start to practice something like meditation, you start to realize that that when the suffering comes up because of those thoughts, the alarm goes off. You've got a choice. You either get up and walk up, you know, get out of the building or whatever, or you stay and get you know, burnt in the fire or whatever it is. So Without something like meditation, you actually you have no choice but to actually suffer under this this tyranny of thinking. Um, so, what do I mean by you actually you have a choice there? Well, you have a choice of how you actually start to react to these negative feelings that come up. Um, if you can, if you can do that, you if you can do that, then you start to see you can. 
you can actually start to see how the mind moves a lot more when it moves into positive states, when it moves into negative states, and you just don't react to it anymore. Now, through a practice like meditation, it's obviously, it is possible to stop thoughts. Everybody always asks that, can you stop your thoughts? It's like, yeah, you can. If you, if you really learn to calm your mind uh, from through like a practice of samadhi, really learn to calm your mind and quiet your mind and become very still and you can become absorbed, you can stop the thoughts. They can stop. And this is really, this is usually the thing that we're always wanting out of meditation. And when you do finally get that, it's, it's such, you know, it feels like such a relief. It's like, oh, it's finally, a, a, a few seconds of peace. This is fantastic. Oh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. But there's a problem there. You're still locked in that room with that maniac. It's still there. He's still handcuffed to you. He's going to start talking again. He might, have, he might have shut up for a second but he's going to start talking again. He's going to start rambling again. So while, so the real relief comes from being able to deal with these thoughts, deal with this, how this maniac is actually like rambling. And the real relief comes about from our freedom of knowing that we don't need to listen to him. We don't need to respond to everything that he says. If thoughts actually arise, it doesn't actually mean... So what that means is if, if thoughts arise, that doesn't actually mean that they have absolutely, absolute control and dominance over your life. Just because a thought has arisen, it doesn't mean that is your life and that is everything about it. Through actually our relation to thoughts and realizing that you don't have to follow them at all times, as I said, you have the choice now. This, and this is the real relief. It's like... It's like this maniac that's handcuffed to you. If he's, if he's ranting and raving and babbling and all these kinds of things, you can realize you don't have to listen to him at all times. Out of, out of a thousand things that this, this, this maniac says to you, 90, 999 of those things, ah, it's a waste of time, <laughs> it's, it's useless. But maybe he says one thing that's good. It's like, oh, and that's the thing that you can pay attention to. Oh, okay, that's a, you know, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Okay, I'll listen to that. So that's really what meditation actually offers you. It offers you this choice of whether to you know, follow, follow the, 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 the raving maniac or to just not listen to him. So how do you actually do that? How do you, you, know, how do you actually you know, you know, be at peace with this, this lunatic that you're locked away with? Well, the... It sounds very counterintuitive, but you just have to learn to do nothing. This really maybe sounds so counterintuitive to us because you know we're always taught that it's like we always have to, you know, we always have to be doing something. We always have to, you know, don't just sit there, do something about it, make it, you know, make a difference, make a change. But in this instant, this is where doing nothing is the best thing that's possible. So what do, I, what do I actually mean by that? When you get distracted, when, you, when, when that negative mind state comes about from boredom, you know, and you get distracted, just do nothing. Don't follow it. Don't listen to it. 
the the whole problem with distraction is that you know distraction is something where you're trying to do one particular thing but you get distracted and you you end up doing something else and you from there you do something else and you do something else and you do something else and this is why we feel like distraction is a bad thing because it's taking us away from the thing that we want to do and you know no nobody sort of thinks oh, because i got distracted that was so much better nobody like thinks that you know yeah i you know starting to watch youtube at like at, at at midnight or whatever and watching videos of cats or whatever is a good thing like that's not the distraction in that instance is not a good thing and so the problem that comes about from distraction is because you've, you're doing something else so the best instant here is to learn to do nothing and how do we do that well this is where we have to learn to actually sit with the uncomfortableness that we might initially feel from something like boredom you have to just learn to just sit with it and be with it and realize that it's you know this come about and it's it's not pleasant it's not it's not something that you enjoy but you just have to do nothing and react to it in that way and so how do you actually do that it's you know it's it's easy to say but it's it's it can be it can actually be very hard to do um this is as i said this is where a practice like meditation comes in handy but um actually so a really good exercise to do is is um something that Ajahn Chah actually recommended Ajahn Chah recommended if you you know if you want to learn how to you know deal with something like distraction all you have to do is you get two things you get yourself a glass and you get a clock and you sit at a table and you grab the glass in your left hand you put it on you put it on the left hand side of the table and you put the clock there as well and your only job is to wait for two minutes and at the end of that two minutes just move the glass from the left side to the right side and wait another two minutes move it from the right side to the left side wait two minutes left side to the right side and if you do this if you don't believe me about the maniac that's locked in your head you're going to meet him then because that's the point where he sort of like starts to kick and rant and scream and rave and starts to think all these different kinds of things of like why why are you doing this activity this is the this is the dumbest activity that you've ever done like what this is a massive waste of time why are you actually wasting your time doing this is this how you actually want to lead your life you you know you're moving a glass from left to right to right to left is this is this how you're going to spend your precious existence isn't there something better that you could be doing you couldn't you know you could you could be out doing this or you could uh, you could be reading this or actually no there's an email that you should be responding to you should go and respond to that now that if you've got enough time to sit here and move a glass from left to right then you definitely have enough to so this is you'll meet the maniac at this time it'll start to come up but again remember your only job is to move the glass from left to right every two minutes that's all you do that's it it doesn't matter what this you know lunatic that's raving in your ear is saying that's not your job you don't listen it doesn't matter that's not what you need to be doing you just move the glass from left to right left to right so this is what i mean by doing nothing is that you're not reacting to this voice you're not reacting to this this incessant incessant distraction restlessness that comes about due to your own boredom 
just learn to do nothing at that time. And so this is actually <clears throat> something that I you know, recommend to people to actually do. It's like you know, find some time in the day and just be bored. Just be totally bored. If you can learn to do this properly, if you can learn to be bored in, a, in the right way, this is where boredom and distraction that we usually consider a negative trait, this is where it can turn into a positive trait. You can learn to be bored in the right way. This actually brings about a sense of contentment. You're content with whatever's happening. You don't, you don't care. If, if nothing's happening, you don't care. You're very content with it. You're at ease in any situation. The boredom brings about, can bring about a sense of ease. Boredom can bring about this sense of happiness with whatever situation is around. If you learn to, deal, learn to be bored in a particular kind of way. But not just that. It also can, it also can being bored in the right kind of way can make you more creative as well you can sort of see this process of thoughts that is coming and going and okay I, you know, I, I, I can just sort of let that go I can let that go and so you, you actually become more creative on that and you can sort of pick the good things and not you know let go of the bad things it can also make you a lot more reasonable and rational as well because if you can be bored in the right way you can sort of see all the different options that are coming up and you're not really sort of react just just knee-jerk reaction to one thing and making a snap decision on one thing. You can be bored. You can just let the options flow up and you can, okay, that's the good option. I'll take that. But all these, you know, these 50 other bad options, I just let them go. So learning to be bored in the right way actually can be a very positive thing. And the distraction, this, this, this sort of babbling, being able to pay attention to this babbling, this, this actually distraction that we feel, you know, this, as I said, it's a natural process. It's not going to be something that actually goes away. But if we can learn to respond to it and we can learn to respond to it in the right way and choose from it in the right way, this distraction can actually be helpful to us, as I said, with being more creative and or being more rational and reasonable with the situations. So that's what I really recommend for you, just to you know, get bored and see how that actually goes for you. So maybe with that, I've been, I've been talking for a while, so I'll just conclude it now. So the, the, whole, the whole reason we get bored and we get distracted is because we have some kind of negative feeling in the mind and we're trying to respond to that negative feeling by finding something that's a bit more pleasurable. So we're always going out to that more pleasurable thing. But we, what, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're reacting to a sense of uncomfortableness or displeasure that we have from being bored. And we're trying to fix that by finding finding something that is more pleasurable, but that sort of puts us in a perpetual negative cycle. And so the way we actually deal with boredom and distraction is by learning to do nothing and not react to it. Uh, if we can do nothing in the way we actually find that there's more positive things to be found from our boredom and distraction. So the, and the, the, the greatest joy about this is that you learn to deal with this madman that you live with in your mind. You know that you're never going to get rid of him, but you start to realize that you don't have to follow him. And so you can actually feel you can be okay with living with him. And you're not always trying to fight him. You're not always trying to push him away. You're not always trying to shut him up. But you can just live at peace with the 
lunatic that's inside your own mind. So maybe that's that's enough of me ranting and and raving on like a, a like a like a like a lunatic. So so hopefully hopefully there's some questions that are, are out there now. Hopefully uh, whatever I've said today hopefully it's been beneficial in some way. Um, yeah, and so if there's any questions now, we can maybe ask some questions. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, we have a couple of questions here. Is um, I'll start with the first, the top of the list here is, Ajahn, what is the difference between meditation and total relaxation? Hmm. Um, total relaxation. Well, there. I, I think the main difference probably is that meditation one still is alert and aware and awake in some way total relaxation is is something where you may slip into uh, sleep um, or or be so relaxed that you actually totally like drift away yeah and you and you you get although it's a although it's pleasant although it's a pleasant state you drift away on that and you become sort of complacent in it um but meditation is you're still having the same you if your meditation is going well you can still have the same pleasurable re relaxed mind states but you're still the 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 phenomenological quality of the mind is still very alert and aware and awake at that time and it can stay it can stay more you can stay more you know, foc focus on the present without slipping into, you know, into uh, lethargy or sleep or something like that. But obviously, there's there's overlaps between relaxation and meditation. Is that you know, if one practices meditation in a proficient way, then it, it obviously it can make you very very relaxed. Um, and so some of the, the the actual qualities of the mind at that time are similar, but. Uh, the difference there is that if you're, you know, relaxed without having it being a meditative state, then it just, it just, it drifts. You drift in pleasure, and uh, that's that's. Well, it's nice. It's it's not really it's not really a a, a, a beneficial mind state because it's it's you're not you're not actually being aware of the process. So that's I, I'd say that's the main difference is with meditation, you're having the same kind of mind states, but you're more alert and aware and awake to them whereas relaxation you're just sort of drifting into pleasure thank you Ajahn uh, second question here is Ajahn what can I do when my anxiety tries to take over my meditation mm. it depends how it depends how strong it depends how strong the anxiety actually can be um, if it's if it's if it's really like really strong um then you know it's probably not the the greatest time to actually be meditating maybe you should you know change it up a little bit like maybe you know whatever read a book or something you know change if if but that's if the anxiety is super super strong and you're you're just you finding it really really hard to actually uh, hard to deal with it if you if you feel like you can deal with it at, at that point while you're meditating you can then try to work with it a little bit it's it sort of comes a little bit back to what i was talking about with sitting with boredom there is that unpleasant 
state that's coming up in the mind, that anxiety that's coming up in the mind. And if you can just sit with it and write it out, <clears throat> write it out and not react to it, then you're, you know, you should, you hopefully will be able to get past it and you'll see that it just, it is something that comes and goes away. But if it is really, really strong, like don't just, don't just sit there and spin. Don't just sit there and spin in the anxiety. Get up, try to do something else and maybe come back and meditate a little bit later when you're, when you're not in as, uh, as, as, uh, a, that kind of hyper, hyper anxiety state. But, uh, you know, as I said, if you are if you are meditating and you're having some you just you're mi- you know kind of mild anxiety or, or or low kind of anxiety, that's you know that is something that you can you know can try to deal with a little bit in your uh, when you're actually meditating. the The analogy I always give is like you have to know your your limit. If like if if your anxiety sort of got to here, and you know that this is this is what you can deal with. Um, if you like let it spiral past that point, you're you're just going to get lost in it, and it's going to be become a, it's going to overwhelm you too much. And whatever you do, you're not going to be able to pull back to this point. But if you think this is the point that you can deal with, if you get up to there and maybe try to deal with it a little bit, just a, just a little bit more, try to overcome it a little bit more. And if it becomes too much, then you pull back, and you pull back. But uh, if you never so and so if you do that every time that you deal with it a little bit more this line here this original line moves shifts just a little bit and you're better able to deal with it you're better able to deal with it just a little bit little bit and so through continual practice this line of how much anxiety you can deal with moves but the other side of that is if you if you know that that's how much you can deal with and if you get up to this line and you think okay the anxiety is coming up yeah, you know, I, I need to really like back away from this thing now. You get up to here, and you back away. Then what happens is this line shifts back, and you, you think, okay, that's what I can deal with. Try it again. Back away. The line shifts back, so it becomes harder and harder for you to actually deal with your anxiety if you don't if you don't come up and confront it at least a little bit. So the 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 the, the golden balance with that is knowing knowing your limit knowing what your limit is, getting up to it, facing it a bit, trying to go past it as much as you possibly can, but no, okay, that's enough, and then pulling back. If you can do that, then you'll gradually, gradually, hopefully be able to move further and further beyond the anxiety that comes about through something like meditation. But again, as I said, know your limits. If it is too overwhelming, if it is too much, if it is, if one is really just sitting down and, and, and anxiety is starting to to overcome you and spiral out of control get up do something else you know change change it up so yeah hopefully that hopefully that helps in some way thank you Ajahn uh, this one here is uh, can you give me some advice on how to handle and overcome the first hindrance that is sensory desire Whew, that's a hard one <laughs> we all we all uh, it's something we all have to face you if you have a physical you have a physical body um the way a physical body is sustained is through um uh, responding and partaking in sensory uh sensory pleasures um obviously you get hungry and you need 
food. So the body reacts in a particular kind of way and it makes you want food in a particular kind of way. You want, you feel cold in a particular, you feel cold, the body reacts, wants you to be warm, you have to change your sensory input. So how do you most effectively deal with your sense desires? Well, it's... We have to we have to see what's necessary and what's not necessary. Uh, obviously, necessary is you need sleep, you need food, you need if you're sick, you need some kind of medication, uh, you need clothing to 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 um, uh, help you with different elemental changes from the environment. Those are the particular kinds of sensory uh, uh, sensory inputs we need to actually listen to. Um, and and actually respond to. So if you're hungry, you need to eat. You need to eat. But there's a there's an inflection point there of like, yeah. It's not always you don't always just eat when you're hungry. You you eat when you're bored. You go to the you know, the, the amount of you know. Again, in lockdown, you probably you get bored. What's the first thing you do? You get up and you walk to the fridge and you open the fridge and you look in the fridge. Oh, what can I eat? Oh, there's nothing to eat in here. That's fine. Okay, I'll go to the pantry and I'll look in. The, I'll look at the pantry. Maybe there's something to eat in the pantry. So, um, so what 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 I mean? So what I'm trying to get at with that is it's there, there is a point where we have to listen to uh, the the sensory desires that we have to keep us alive. But there is a point there where we can go over, and that starts to get into when we're indulging in sensory input. So we're indulging in food. We've if we've got enough food to eat, but then we're just constantly going to the fridge and snacking, you know, that's that's where we have to we have to draw the line there. So, how do you actually deal with the first one? Well, you have to know what is necessary and what is what is not. You know, the, the necessary kind of sensory uh, sensory input that you actually need to take in. Once you once you realize that, and once you see that there's that. You're just now you've you've had your need, your your actual needs fulfilled. Everything else on top of that is a desire. Um, so you're set, you've eaten something, you're satiated, you're full, but now you want to nibble on some ice cream or something, and so that's your desire. That's what you're like trying to. Uh, that's something that you don't really need. And again, it's how do you actually deal with it? The same way you deal with boredom and distraction you either do nothing you do nothing just don't follow don't follow to the, the desire now um yeah that's a good thing to do and if you can actually do this this is quite helpful uh but sometimes that always doesn't work okay just do Jen Sartaro said to do nothing i'm trying to do nothing i'm trying to do nothing i'm still doing nothing i'm still doing blah, but all of a sudden i okay i break i snap and I go to the fridge and I eat the ice cream or whatever it is. The other side of it that you can do some some there are some practices that we as monks do for for uh, uh, not indulging in sensual desires is where we where we look at these things in the physical and material world um, and we don't always look at the pleasurable side of them, but we also look at how they can be painful as well or they can be. Um, you're not as attractive to us. So say for example, say for example, you have I don't know, I don't know something that's like sweet and nice, a nice like 
tiramisu or something you look at it on the plate it looks gorgeous it looks fantastic it's like i'm gonna eat this whole thing this is great this is this is this is a perfect thing but you think about it in this state as it is it looks delicious it looks 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 so appealing but just think okay as soon as i chew this thing up you know what okay what does it look like in my mouth and once i chew this uh, if you chew it up and you spit it out in your hand it looks disgusting this thing looks terrible and so even though you've like chewed it up in your own mouth and you spit it into your own hand it's like you don't want to put that thing back in your mouth again it's like oh this is disgusting so it's changed it's changed its state there and so and we can think about that as is like well this thing that we think is is appealing to us and that it is like it's burning the fires of our desire there it's going to change state and there, there's the other side to it as well that it is the there's the unpleasant side of it there or is the unattractive side of it so you can do these kinds of counter practices whereby something that seems to be appealing has the others has the other side to it where it is unappealing as well so you know you can you do these kind of more active practices as well where you where you you look at its at its at its total counter opposite and you can do that with with anything um you know, uh, 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 sound, nice music that you like to hear. Okay, this is, you know, this music is great. I, there's this, there's uh, artists that I really like and this song that I really like. But imagine you, like, turn that up really, really loud. Really, like, just super loud, super loud so it actually hurts your ears. And But then you had to listen to that song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know what it's like when you get a song stuck in your head and it becomes annoying? Even the song that you really like the most, if you just hear that song over and over again, it's going to become, um, it's it's going to actually become quite annoying to you. So we can we can look at the alternate of, of the central pleasures that we have and look at how they can be, uh, you know, not so appealing and not so attractive. And this is, as I said, this is a process that we, we do a lot as, as monks. Ajanga, can I just ask a follow-up on that one? Um, do you have to be careful when you do take that approach that you, you don't turn it into an, a form of aversion? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely, you have to balance it. Um, <clears throat> you, have to, you have to see... You have to, if you're if you're if you're undertaking these practices, these uh, you could you could call them like a counterbalance kind of practice. If you're undertaking those and you're looking at the things, at the aspects of your experience that are not so appealing, and and uh, you're looking at the the negative aspect of it, you have to realize when your mind's maybe tipped too far, and you're just you're becoming aversive to these things. So if you're Say, for example, with the food, if you're constantly investigating your food as something that's just chewed up and it comes into your stomach and it's this sort of disgusting thing, and if you do that so much that you become adverse to actually eating, then you've, you've, gone, you've gone too far. You've gone too far with it. You need to balance it back out with, with another practice of, say, for example, something like loving kindness. Uh, you need to... You need to balance that out. So you just you need to be careful if you're if you're doing a practice like that and your mind starts to move into aversion towards these things. And actual actual not just not just there's a difference there between dispassion towards something. Whereas you can see the tiramisu and it's like 
Okay, it's just a tiramisu, it's fine. And there's dispassion there for it. But there's a version. If there's a version there and you go, oh, this is disgusting, this is terrible, I don't want to touch this thing. Yeah, this is just awful. I'll, ugh, I'll get that away. You have to watch. You have to be careful of that point between... Um, uh, if you are falling into that aversion, then you need to pull back from that a little bit. It's actually uh, one of the one of the great Western monks uh, in Thailand, uh, Lumpur Panya. He'd he'd recommend this a lot because in the Thai forest tradition, we are trained to do a lot of these counterbalancing practices where we are looking at the more the more repulsive aspects of nature. Um, and he would actually say, you know, it's it's quite easy for you to fall into aversion because of these things. So you really do have to, you have to balance that out by, uh, you know, doing practices where you're developing samadhi, watching the breath and bringing up these more wholesome mind states. So just be careful if you are doing it to notice whether your mind's falling into aversion or if it's falling into dispassion. Dispassion's a good thing. Dispassion's like, it's fine. It's, I can have it or not. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of drawn to it. That's okay. But if it's aversion, that's when you have to start to worry. i still got a bit of work on the tiramisu. Yeah, I, I think everybody has work on the tiramisu. <laughs> okay. Um, how do I overcome a sense of helplessness and feeling unmotivated? A follow-up question would be about what? It's uh, unfortunately, I, I get, I, this is where it's hard. It's, you know, it's, uh, there's some things, there's some things, it's good to feel hopeless and unmotivated for. Um, and what do I mean by that? So, say for example, there's like huge problems in the world. There's some kind of huge problem in the world, and you, uh, you, you're not motivated to fix that thing because you realise it's something that's outside of your capacity to do. You know, being unmotivated in that way is a good thing. If you, if you're, if you're, if you're motivated that you want to fix the world economy. Like that might be good if you have the capacity and the team and the and the skill set to actually do that. But if you're just like an average Joe, you worrying about that and being motivated to change that might be, might be uh, that might be you might be going too far with that. Um, but if you're if you're potentially thinking hopeless and unmotivated by what I'm guessing is. Uh, what I'm guessing from your question is, and maybe it has to do more with something like meditation and your and your practice and your Buddhist practice, this feeling of unmotivation to practice and this feeling of maybe hopelessness that, you know, I'm practicing and I'm not getting anywhere. I'm I'm going to take a stab in the dark and 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 just infer that maybe that's more what you're talking about. And that you know that is that is something that is it can be hard that can be very hard to actually deal with and it's something that we sort of have to deal with uh, uh, that comes about through extended periods of practice after we've been practicing for a long time. So how do we, how do we deal with this non-motivation and lack of hope? This is actually where I think uh, quality like faith actually comes in 
and I don't mean faith here in some kind of like like blind, you know, it's just sort of like a blind, you know, gullible kind of faith in something, but faith that what you're working towards is something higher. What you're working towards is something meaningful and really beneficial. What you're working towards is something that is so rewarding in the end that the the lack of motivation, the boredom, the the sense of hopelessness, it's worth getting through it. Real faith comes about not through not through you just giving in to something. Real faith comes about when you when you have a lot of doubt. When you have a lot of doubt, when you have a lot of when you have a lot of disquiet and discomfort there you have doubts you have ways you have you have this feeling of hopelessness you have this feeling of low motivation real faith actually comes through getting through that facing up to that facing that lack of motivation facing that feeling of 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 hopelessness of why am i actually doing this and realizing why am i doing this it's because there's something greater that i'm going for there's something I, I'm what I'm attempting to do is the the highest thing that I could think of doing with my whole life, and that is to move towards uh, a sense of in, uh, a state of enlightenment. So real faith comes about coming through those 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 dark periods of hopelessness and lack of motivation, and faith in what you're actually doing is something that's 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 bigger and more worthwhile that's that's really the thing that can that pulls you through the sense of hopelessness and lack of motivation because it's because you know it's it's going to happen you you practice for a long period of time and you are going to have this sense of hopelessness and lack of motivation so one really needs to remind oneself of why you're actually doing this practice and that as well if you don't do if you don't actually do this practice, what's the alternative there? You feel hopeless, you feel unmotivated. So the alternative is to not do the practice. But, you know, let's just take that as a given for the moment. You don't have to do the practice. Cool. How is your life going to become if you live like that? If you don't practice, you know, things are not going to get better they're only actually going to get worse. You're going to be pulled around by the whims of your own desires and pulled around by, you're, you're again, under this tyranny of thought, you're going to have to sort of, you're, you're, you have to listen to this madman that I was talking about. If you don't do this practice, then you're, you're fully bounded in that. So that's the option. Obviously, a better option is to <laughs> practice and to continue to work with it and continue to move towards something higher. So... Really developing this faith in what your that your practice that it will eventually lead to something, and looking at how it actually has improved your life already is another good way to do it. So, ho- hopefully that answered the question. There's there wasn't much context to it, but hopefully that was what you were asking. Yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, this one here is uh, Namaste. Uh, in meditation, sometimes my mind gets distracted to many problems and good solutions. Mm. Good solutions will come up. How do I deal with this? I can certainly relate to this one. Yeah. Um, that is the, 
that's it's 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 actually like the the nice the nice like uh, side effect of meditation that we don't actually talk about much and i actually i find like quite good is you you like when you meditate and you stop all the external activities like the problem that you're working on and you stop and just okay let it go the better idea will come up later of how to deal with it and it'll it'll come up a lot in meditation um i you know i I'll be honest. I think it's a good. I think it's a. It's a good thing when you finally like work out the problem, or you have a better idea when you're actually meditating. But in saying that, you know, you, you don't sort of sit down and meditate and go, okay, I'm going to sit and meditate and work through this problem. It's just something that should maybe just pop up automatically. Again, your your what you're trying to do when you meditate is to keep your mind, keep your mind focused on your object. So. If that good solution does come, and if it if it's really if it's really good, great, just sort of okay, write it down or something, and then okay, put it down, get back to meditation. Um, but don't sort of sit there through your meditation and go, I need to come up with a solution to this, so I'll meditate and I will come up with the solution because that's again that's going to be counterproductive. All you're going to be doing is trying to think through the problem without all the objects in front of you. So if some great solution to a problem that you're trying to think about comes up through meditation, awesome, great, note it, remember it, remember it. But again, put it away. Just, okay, cool, I've worked that thing out, it's good. If it's, if it's, if it's a really big thing, quickly write it down, but push it away. Um, and then go back to your meditation, whatever, whatever. If you've allocated a period of time to meditate, and let's let's call it 20 minutes. Let's call it 20 minutes. In that 20 minutes, you've decided to sit down and meditate. Okay, there's 20 minutes. I'll sit down and meditate. If at the 10-minute mark, this, this great idea comes up of like, oh, that's the solution to the problem. Cool. Just remember it. But for the remaining 10 minutes, go back and try to try to continue your meditation. Watch your breath. Watch the sensations in the body, whatever it is. Take a note of it, but just put it down. But... Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully that helps. And yeah, it's you know, meditation is actually that's in a way that's why what I was talking about how 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 your distraction actually can be a positive thing, and you know, not re not reacting, not reacting to the boredom, the uh, boredom that comes about in a negative way, the the restlessness that you can have when you don't react to the boredom in a negative way. That's where you get creative and you get better ideas. So, and that's why most of your good ideas come when you meditate or you're in the shower or something. You, <laughs> you've thrown it all down. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good it's a good side product of actually meditating. But try not to if it comes about, don't pay too much attention to it. Note it if you really need to write it down. Write it down, but then get back to your meditation. Thank you, Ajahn. This one here, um, it's not quite phrased as a question, but um, should I be trying to stay detached from my relationship partner? Detachment and partners is so confusing. Mm. Mm. Actually, the, uh, there was a question about this a few weeks ago and the meditation and I, and I sort of and I butchered it. Like, <laughs> I, I, uh, so hopefully... This, somehow this question always comes at the end the end when I'm starting to get tired and I've been talking maybe for too long. So hopefully I'll try to do a little bit more justice to this. It is, 
it's a it is a hard it is it definitely is a hard problem how do you deal with detachment and but deal with partners and those that you love around you in the most in the most appropriate way it seems it seems counterintuitive that you you you're around these people and you love them and you have to interact with them but you should be detached from them now the way i think we do this is by still realizing that say for example you are uh you have a family you have a let's say you have a family you have a responsibility with your family you have to you have to care for them provide for them um look after them uh you know, you have to be there for them when they're in suffering uh you have to give up your time for them so you and in a way you have to invest a lot in them say for example you have children you have to invest a lot of time and energy and effort into them so in a way you could think well that's that's attaching that's attaching to them but what is meant in this in the sense of what we're trying to develop in in meditation is not is not detachment that is uh, uh, again a form of aversion of like yeah this is my partner and I detach from him because I hate him <laughs> because I don't want to be around him and I don't want to be involved in in all his all his mess all this child I don't want to be involved in their mess so I I detach from them in that way that's not what we mean by detachment detachment what it means is that you can still you can still function and you can still fulfill your role and your responsibility for this person and still interact with them in this way but you realize that this person these other people that are in your life their their life in a way is out of your control you can't say for example your child you know you do what you can you do what you can with them you teach them in the right way you look after them as best you possibly can but you can't determine exactly you can't control exactly how that person will turn out and how they're going to behave and how they're going to respond in every situation so detachment in this way means that you can detach from the result of the way that you think a person should be or how a person's life should be you can still love them you can still cherish them you can still realize that that this this experience that you have with them these are some of the most meaningful things that you'll meaningful experiences that you have in your life and meaningful relationships that you have in your life but again you have to detach how this person acts and behaves detach your reaction to that because eventually you know eventually they're going to this person that you love uh, and this relationship that you're in at some point there's going to be hardships in it there's going to be things that you that you don't like there's going to be you're going to have to at some point become separated from them um, you're going to have to depart from them whether that's whether that's physically they move somewhere else or they move away or that they become sick or that they you know eventually have to pass away at some point you're going to have to become separated from them so if we realize that you can be equanimous equanimous when this change in the person happens when this 
this action that they that they will eventually leave and, and be separated from them, you can detach from that, detach from it wanting to be a different kind of way. So detachment in this sense means you're detaching from wanting them to be a particular kind of way. They are the way they are and you respond to them and you have to interact with them, but they are just that way. So you detach from that. You don't detach from the person and push them away and go, I don't want anything more to do with you. You know, <laughs> just you know, get out of my life. That's that's not that's not the kind of uh, um, that's kind of, not the kind of dis, uh, disattachment that you're trying to develop. You're trying to develop the the quality that this person will behave and react and respond in ways, and this person will, you know, eventually I will be separated from them, but I just don't react to that I don't react negatively to that so that's how we can still have a relationship with people and still and still have you know you know a meaningful relationship with them and still be have uh, do our responsibilities to our family and those that we love and the people around you and we can still be a good friend to people and we can still you know uh, you know, uh cherish other people but we just we're not affected by the way that they behave and they respond or, or the actions that they actually take. So hope, hopefully that makes some kind of sense. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, the next question here is, uh, can chanting, can chanting light music help in, help in anxiety for short periods in, in meditation? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, um, you have to obviously, obviously, you got to look at what you're actually chanting and what you're terming what you're uh, uh, terming as music. Um, uh, uh, like, but it can help in 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 a way that your <clears throat> that your 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 changing changing the focus of your mind onto something that's hopefully more wholesome. Um, so, say for example, I'll use the, exa the the example that we use in in Theravada Buddhism is we do we do the chanting like we did before we started the session here the the recollection of the Buddha the Dhamma the Sangha and the chant of loving kindness. If you can focus your attention on that, that 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 hopefully what that does is you know changes the focus away from the anxiety that you may be feeling to something you're using your mind actively in a more beneficial and wholesome way. And so actually chanting can be a form can be a form of meditation. Chanting can be a form of mindfulness. Chanting can be a way to make the mind a lot more wholesome. Um, so if you if you if you if you feel like you're having some sort of anxiety and you try something like chanting some uh, chanting some Buddhist chants or chanting some kind of like like music in some way, whatever you whatever you you know, whatever you find helpful and you find that that works and yeah definitely it's it's definitely a good uh, a good thing if you find that it actually helps uh, with your anxiety thanks Ajahn. Uh this one's a follow-up to a um, someone who just rephrased the question um, I think you might be paraphrasing you from part of your talk was the only way to live with um, negative mental states is to live with it is there a way for these um, when these mental states don't even arise? Uh, it's is it too idealistic, perhaps, um, because it's so it's so irresistible not to do so. Mm. It can, but it takes a lot of training. 
Like, and that's and that's really what you're you're trying to do is your by this act of you know not paying attention to them and not involving them, you know, not you know not not giving them your by not giving them your attention, they'll gradually you know they'll, they'll gradually start to decrease and pass away. It's a, 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 a great a great example of this is like like you know like when a cat and when a cat comes to like comes to like comes up to you and it wants some kind of food if you continue to feed the cat the cat's going to keep coming back it's going to keep coming back and it's going to keep wanting food and it's going to keep meow 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 meowing and annoying you and all these kinds of things but if you stop feeding the cat you stop giving it this giving it the the the, the attention that it wants eventually this cat's going to go away it's not going to because it doesn't it doesn't get what it wants out of you so this facet of, uh, oh, sorry, this f- f- uh, faculty of not paying attention to these thoughts can eventually lead to these negative thoughts maybe not arising. Um, but it takes it takes a long period of time. It's not like a cat that you know, you know, within two days it's not going to come around and bother you anymore. Your your mind is something. As I said, you live with it twenty four seven. You live with it every second. So actually, you know. It, it does take time, but eventually it can happen. But that, again, your re, the the main thing is that your relationship to these negative thoughts—that's the thing that changes. Not that they'll never, ever, ever happen again. Um, that's a that's a very high level of the practice, and it's something to aim towards. And really, if you think of what what uh, what. Becoming fully enlightened would be that's likely what it would be like, but to get to that point, it it takes it takes a long time. So, in the meantime, one has to change one's relationship with the negative thoughts, and again, by not paying attention to them, just like the cat. The cat comes meow meow meow. If you keep feeding it and keep giving it food, it's going to come and keep getting on you and getting hair or whatever all over you. But if you just don't feed it, eventually, it's going to become less and less interested in you and then every now and again like the cat might come back but again you just yeah here comes the cat again i'm not going to feed it i'm not going to pay attention to it and it'll go away but yeah cats are cats are crafty and sneaky and they always keep coming back so <laughs> thank you ajan we're right on 10 30 now um there's one last question would you yeah why not? to take why not? that my okay. voice is getting hoarse as well so okay <laughs> maybe this the last question is good yeah uh, what did the Buddha mean by able and upright in the Metra Sutta? Thank you. Able and upright, in the, at least the way I understand this, is, is that one really walks their talk. You, yeah, from, from, the, from the Metta Sutta, what you're trying to develop is this... this faculty and personality of of being imbued with loving kindness towards another and so being able and upright in this in this manner actually means that you're walking your talk and that you're actually are being you are having kindness towards all beings you are having uh you are having loving kindness towards others you are having loving kindness towards any any living beings there may be it's not that you 
are just thinking as, oh, you know, I'm a nice person, I'm good, I'm kind, I'm all these kinds of things. But then the way that you act in the world is not indicative of what you think about yourself. So being able and upright means that you really do live this teaching of being a person that is imbued with, with metta and, and imbued with kindness. Um, uh, my, my Pali is not so strong, but uh, at least for me, that's the way I interpret it interpret able and upright in this instance. Okay, thank you, Ajahn. And tomorrow evening there is a um, yes. meditation that you're giving from here, but it will be um, under the same conditions. For sure. Yeah. for sure. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks for everyone for coming, and uh, hopefully it was beneficial to you all in some way. And again, uh, just uh, just we'll keep we'll try to keep you updated uh, how. Uh, when when we'll be able to do these things on in person again, uh, but for now, yes, we'll just we'll continue to do this online. So yeah, it's uh, I wish you all the best uh, and and hope that you grow in the Dhamma. Okay.